0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. My guest this week is Jordan Herron. Jordan and I are part of the same agency family, Ritter family, hashtag Ritter talent agency. (laughs) Jordan is... What I'm now realizing, my second of two in a row second act actors who were project managers turned actors, Angie being another project manager turned actor. And so we touch on a lot of really interesting transferable skills between the job of project manager and now the career in acting. Jordan has an incredible story, and you'll hear it in the first part of this episode, He traveled to the Ukraine to do a lot of filmmaking there, all about the war in the Ukraine and filming the people involved in it there. And oh my, oh my God, like the stories he has are just heartbreaking, necessary, oh, just absolutely insane stories of survival and courage from the beautiful, beautiful, amazing country that is the Ukraine. So thank you, Jordan, for what you're doing to help keep these stories alive. He also, we also touch on, so he has got some hilarious stories about who he is as an actor. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see what he looks like, right? He's got long curly hair. He could be dubbed a character actor. So we talk about what it's like to be someone like that in the industry, right? Like he could technically play a doctor, but no, he doesn't look like a doctor in the industry, I don't look like a doctor in the industry either, and I am a doctor in the world. So we have a great conversation about looks, typecasting, and all that fun stuff that goes on in this crazy business that we're in. Please enjoy the wonderful, wonderful man that is Jordan Heron. Ukraine right?
1: Yes I was.
0: Oh my gosh when did you get back? Uh,
1: end of uh, end of April I oh I went goodness. there end of March I think I arrived on day 34 of the war um, oh and my gosh. Uh, yeah I was there for four well I was away for four weeks I was in Ukraine for about three and a half I flew into Warsaw um, and then I, I took a bus to Chemischal Poland which is near the border and then A friend who I'd never met before, you know, a friend of a friend, um, she drove across the border, picked me up and took me across to Lviv. Mm -hmm. I was there for about three and a half weeks with, uh, about three, three days, three, four days I spent in Kiev towards the end of it. Once, um, Kiev had been, uh, uh, (laughs) deoccupied the Northwest of Kiev. The short story of my life is that I've never been affected by war before. I'm old, but I'm not old enough for the first and second world war, you know, um, and and the wars in the middle east are you know america fighting over oil fields the the ukraine trip was more of a mental hardship than anything and not not because of you know any any fighting that i saw cuz i was nowhere near the front lines um so um i i went to ukraine i i i have friends in ukraine and you know I wake up on 24th of February and my friends are running for their lives or they're refugees or they're fighting. Um, and, and I was really offended that somebody would just like invade their country because they felt like it. Uh, and, and I wanted to do something. My intent was to go and, and drive people around, um, go to Poland to get supplies and bring them into Ukraine or do manual labor. And then hopefully take some film footage on the side. And, you know, maybe I could do something with that when I got home, you know, when I got there, there were so many refugees from, from Kiev and Kharkiv and, and Kherson and, 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 um, Zaporizhia in Lviv that they didn't like, they they literally didn't need my help because I arrived at like day 34 of the war. So they've had a month to practice. So They've got a, a, you know, a smoothly oiled machine running there. You know, the refugees who don't have jobs are pitching in to help with the war effort. Um, the, the men of fighting age can't leave the country, but the women were driving across to Poland and getting supplies and bringing them back. Um, by that point, the big refugee crushes had, had finished. I also found out that you can't rent a car in Poland and drive it to Ukraine. And I assumed that was the war, but no, it's because it's not part of the European Union. Like, you've never been able to rent a car in Poland and drive to Ukraine, you know? Um, huh. So here's me, you know, North American idiot trying to figure out how to do things in, in Europe. So when I got there, I said, so what do you need me to do? And they said, well, you're a filmmaker, you say. Our biggest fear is that the world's going to forget and we're going to be left fighting Russia all by ourselves. So if you're a filmmaker, make films. So they gave me they gave me an office and a big desktop computer. I downloaded my my, my Adobe software, and I would go out in the morning, or I, I would go to the office in the morning. I would I would edit films. I'd put it up on on Facebook, and then I'd go out in the afternoon and take more film. And that was kind of my routine um, while I was there, learning about people, learning about the the country, learning about the fact that this war is not new for them. You know they've been fighting Russia specifically since 2014, um, and uh, and they've been fighting. You know that the, for their independence for over 300 years. Uh, I it was fascinating. It was fascinating how where I was in Lviv there was no evidence of war except for a lot of soldiers on the street, and yet everything was about the war. You know, I I went mm. to the library where they were making camouflage nets. I went to somebody's garage where they were dehydrating vegetables to make packaged soups, instant soups to send to the front line. Um, You know, I I went to the war memorials and and saw the, you know, the heroes of Ukraine, which dated from 2014. You know, I mean, there were flags everywhere and they were not new flags. These people are fiercely independent, fiercely proud of their democracy. And I, I... I can't imagine how stupid Putin is that he thought he could walk into there and just take over because he's not. And this is an unpopular opinion. But, you know, when they're accusing Russians of killing civilians, trust me, those civilians are dangerous. None of them want Russia there. <laughs> you know, you put a gun in an 80 year old farmer's hand, he's going to try and kill Russians. So, you know, I don't I don't blame Russia for trash in the place because they're not going to give up. I mean, I do blame Russia for doing it because it's wrong, but uh, but Russia is right to fear every Ukrainian out there because they are independent, fiercely independent, and they are not going to give up.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's kind of an interesting, and I know I'm guilty of this mindset of anytime you plant the word "refugee" on someone, yeah, I think it you, I um, automatically think of like weak. Powerlessness, you know. I don't know. I think of like, oh, poor them. How can we help right. them? But we forget exactly. Like, what would it be if we were in that situation? If like, yeah. America invaded Canada or something like that? You're damn right. <laughs> we as humans would fight back.
1: Yeah. Like, but I, there's
0: something about the labeling, or I don't know what it is about. Like, oh, like, what do you mean? Wow, they're fighting back. Yeah. I thought they were like these poor. Hungry, starving refugees. It's like n- no, never.
1: Most most At of the refugees. They're fight. There are a lot of internally displaced refugees. So people that used to live in Kiev are now mm-hmm. living in Lviv because well, and now they're moving back slowly. Um, but most of the people that I saw leaving the country were were women with children. It's like, let's get the kids out mm-hmm. and and but most of the women I knew of of adult age or how do I say this? Women whose children were adults or, you know, women who didn't have that sort of maternal responsibility, they weren't leaving the country. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I met friends of mine with a young child that had, they'd moved from Kiev to Lviv. You know, they weren't leaving the country. They just moved somewhere safer with their kid. Um, but they mm-hmm. had no plans to leave. Um, uh, it's, it's, I I am impressed with the people there. They, I've never met anyone more brave or more stolid. You know, they're, they're not going anywhere. And, uh, you know, not that I want to advertise that people should spend their time watching TV, but there's on Netflix, there is a documentary called, um, Winter on Fire, I think it is, which is, which talks about, um, their fight for independence, um, against their own president. You know that that Ukraine was on a path to join the European Union, and then at the last minute, the president goes, "You know what? We're going to stick with Russia." And there was an uprising, and they got rid of the president. I mean, it took ninety days, and and you know, civilians died because they were unarmed, um, but they they fought. They're they're they are fiercely democratic. Have been for years, decades, um, and yeah, they're not they're not giving up their their concern as i said earlier is that the world's going to forget them and that they're going to they're going to lose because they don't have you know the support that they need to win and they they very much deserve our yeah. support and they very much deserve to win this mm-hmm.
0: yeah so, where can we find or can we find what you've been doing your films, your film work
1: i haven't done anything with the footage since i got back but on Facebook, there's a channel called, I think Ukraine, this is a war zone, all one word. Uh, and that has some of the small okay. clips that I was doing while I was there. Um, I was posting, you know, still pictures as well as some videos. Once I got those up and running, I was trying, I mean, it's it's not like it's art, but I was trying to convey the fact that war zones don't necessarily look like what you think. You know, in Lviv, mm-hmm. you got children playing in in the park. You know, and they're at war, you know, 50 feet from these children who are playing in the park, there's a bunker, um, that you can go hide in if you need to. Um, people are out on the street, there's tourists, they're, they're, they're having dinner and there's soldiers every, every hundred yards. Um, the first full day I was in Lviv, I'm sitting at a cafe with friends of mine, having a sandwich and the air raid siren goes off. No one even misses a bite. It's like, well, there's nowhere for us to hide here. So we're just going to keep eating our food and drinking our coffee and, you know, uh-huh. whatever. And uh, and the air raid stops and nothing happened. And you don't know if it was bad intelligence or if there was a successful airstrike somewhere else or if there was an airstrike and the Ukrainians shot it down. You, you know, you never find that out. You just know that the air raid sirens were going to start. And then an hour later, the air raid sirens go off and go, it's OK, we're done now. Well, I don't know what happened, but something happened. And then, you know, occasionally the air raid sirens go off and bombs fall. Uh, The closest that happened to me was on the last last Monday I was there in Lviv. There were bombs that fell two and a half kilometers from where I was staying. You know, not close enough to hurt me, but too close for comfort.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think about where we live in Canada and I probably the States as well too, maybe less so because of their war on Iraq, but there's not a lot of people sadly left in the, in Canada who've experienced true war, right? Because I mean, they're, they're dying off sadly and they're getting older. And so for those of us who have not experienced that sensation, it's hard to feel it and empathize with it and keep that empathy strong for a long period of time. Like you yeah. were saying, the difficulty is keeping people aware so that you, you, like, we don't forget about Ukraine when all we have to relate is, I don't know, film and television, like stories about war, like you were saying. So it's, yeah, I'm kind of, I don't really know what I'm saying, but I'm like, it's it's hard to relate, um, which makes me feel... Ugh, you know, no. because we just don't. We've experienced the life of plenty.
1: We right? we don't know. We and don't know.
0: It, it sucks. If, we don't know unless
1: you know unless you are a, a, a soldier serving in an active. Like I, I've never been in the military, um, but unless you're a, a soldier serving in an active war zone, you you don't know what this is, and and you know you can sit back and be an armchair soldier and go well i would let them get away with that and i would be in there fighting and <laughs> yeah. no you wouldn't you would run you would piss yourself and you would run you know <laughs> yeah. it is it yep. is horrible and i've never even been there and i know it's horrible and and i talked yeah. to people and and i saw i mean everybody saw that the pictures of bucha and irpin on on tv after the the russians were pushed back you know i mean i the most, the most moving story I saw in the news was this old guy who was, you know, grieving over his son's death. You know, I think the guy was in his sixties. Why did I just say old? I'm in my sixties. <laughs> uh, and his, his, you know, son in his forties had, had been shot by the Russians and, and he was grief stricken. But the last thing he said to the interviewer was the most important thing that was my son did not give up his country. You know? Like that was the most important thing to this guy yeah. is that his son didn't tell the Russians anything, didn't do anything, was not a traitor. He died, you know, a Ukrainian, a patriotic Ukrainian. That was the most important thing wow. to to this guy. Oh my God. Wow. That's
0: what incredible work. I think that you did are doing. Uh, um, yeah.
1: Oh I, yeah. I mean, people, wow. you know, people, I, I, I mean, I'm, in my small town of Dunville here, I'm a, a tiny little legend, um, and, and I don't think I did that much. You know, yes, I did more than many people. I went to a war zone, but I went. You know, I I, I had a friend to to meet me there, someone who spoke the language. You know, he he gave me Ukrainian cash when I got there because you can't get it at the bank. You know, I had I had a wad of Polish money. You know that I got from the bank, but you can't buy Ukrainian hryvnia at, the, at you know the Royal Bank down the street you know, they don't want to, they don't want to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, people, people helped me, people set me up. I was never in a lot of danger and I felt guilty that I had a home to go to. I mean, I was there for four weeks and when I left, all I felt was guilt. It's like, I'm going home. Mm -hmm. These people are stuck here. They're in a war zone until it's over. Um, and I'm not, uh, and, and, you know, I've, I've, I was at the largest humanitarian aid center for the whole country in Lviv. I was talking to the military guy running it um, and they didn't need my help. You know, they got pallets and pallets of stuff from Ireland and United Arab Emirates and and Canada and the United States. Uh, And then I went to this other place that um, is usually a, 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 a no waste shop, a green shop. They're trying to promote, you know, a green lifestyle because, you know, you think we have problems with garbage in Canada where we have, you know, a gazillion acres of land to throw our garbage in, you know, yeah. Europe's crowded, you know, waste is a big problem there. Yeah. Um, But her little shop mm. was now a tiny little humanitarian aid station. And and she got in, you know, she took in stuff from local people that wanted to donate. And then she would try and find people at the other end of the country who needed it. And then she'd find try and find people to drive it out there for them. Um, And so, you know, I still donate a small amount of money to her personally every month you know, to help her with her tiny charity, because my donation makes a difference there. Um, Whereas, you know, my donation doesn't matter to the country of Ukraine. It matters to individual Ukrainians.
0: Mm. And I think that's, that's so key, right? Like, I think, I think about any time we kind of, I think the word was volunteerism. I remember hearing, um, you know, about like people going to places to volunteer, but actually like leaving leaving there having been a, bur- a, bur- a burden on the, on the country. Right? right. Um. But if you think about like, what legacy are you leaving and have like, what have you contributed in a way like to this place? And I think like the stories that you're even just telling now about these people who are having a tough time getting their story out. Like these are the people we want to hear about. Right. I love what you said. Like a lot of us are kind of struggling with, where do we send aid yeah f- knowing that it's a good place and and this these are the people right i love what you said about the, yeah the government in ukraine doesn't need this the small business owners and the humans yeah. who are there need it
1: and, and yeah and i in, in some way i was guilty of that volun, volunteerism thing um of course. but but on the other hand um, their economy needs help Right, because they're at war. So, the fact that I was spending money on a hotel room and the, that I was buying groceries, um, you know, that helps their economy a tiny little bit. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that I am, you know, trying to tell their story, yes, um, and learning about their history, uh, I, I wanted to be like more of a help than I could be, um, and and I'm I'm struggling now with the footage that I have because it's it I don't have anything yet. That to me lends itself to a documentary. Um, what I may end up doing, excuse me, is is closer to. I don't want to say this the wrong way. I might make a film about me. You know, this is me, a Canadian who went to the war zone of Ukraine, and this is what I saw, and this is what I learned, and this is what you should learn from this, um, because I can't tell Ukraine's story, but I can tell my story, uh, and and I was. I was amazed at the things I saw and the things I learned. Um, you know, it, it it was it was stunning. I, I I very much want to go back there. I mean, I would love to go back there now, but um, you know, I I don't have the wherewithal for that right now. I it was it was because of COVID that I could go. Um, I don't take vacations to stay home. Um, like I should and work on the farm. <laughs> I take vacations to go places. So during COVID, I didn't go anywhere. So this year, I had like an extra four weeks of vacation built up that I had to use by the end of the year. Um, so I looked at, you know, you, the Ukrainian war and said, you know, I, I ha- I can easily take four weeks and go there and not even hurt my vacation plans for the year. Um, so it was COVID you know, was, was the reason I got to go. And I would love to go back again. Um, my wife is a veterinarian and she is hoping to go and do some work with animals. Once her busy season here dies down because she's self-employed. If she goes now, she has no income for the year. Uh, but she wants to go when her, when her business, you know, veterinary business is cyclic, you know, and, and summer slows down a bit and she's hoping to go then. And then we will both want to go back when the war is over. And, and see these places, you know, after 10 PM, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I wondered, I wondered by a strip club, not that I wanted to go to a strip club, but I was thinking, I wonder how much business they're doing since they're not allowed to sell alcohol and they close at 10 PM.
0: <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> And these are the things you don't think about. No, but it's part
1: I didn't of the country
0: and the fabric of the country. No. And I didn't think
1: about it until I was wandering downtown in the middle of the day, you know, looking for a pizza slice or something, and I see this gentleman's club and I went, Oh, bet they're hurting for business.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. That's incredible. I'm I'm ex I I'm excited to see what you make from this. Because so am I, I. I think there's I think there's okay. <laughs> let me yeah. Let me know when if you have an idea for me. Yeah, um, I think there's huge value in the idea of a movie about yourself and what you learned because it goes back. And this is going to sound really kind of s- s- snarky, snarky. But it goes back to like baseline levels of who we empathize with, right? Yeah. And it's like I was talking about we have a tough time empathizing with the people of the Ukraine, right? We can sympathize, but it's hard to empathize because like, like you gra- we gravitate towards people who are like ourselves that's yes. like a baseline anthropological biological thing that is always going to be there yeah. so like people in Canada will be able to empathize with you and your struggle and your wanting to learn about this country yeah. and what do I do and here's what I learned and I'm going to say the word sadly, even though it's not sad, there's nothing we can really do about it, but like sadly more than we can empathize because we've not experienced it with the people of Ukraine. So I think, oh yeah. Whew, wow.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, on the other side of your interesting life spectrum, <laughs> tell me how you got into acting.
1: Um, so the, the slightly longer story is that my daughter did dance and drama in school and she had fun with that. Um, going back further, when I was in high school, there was a drama club, but it was run by the English teacher and I was really bad in English class. And so I wasn't one of the cool kids that got to be in the drama club, even though they weren't really cool. You know, the sports people were cool. Um, I was one of the math geeks. I was not the sports guy. I was not the drama guy. Um, so when my daughter started doing just you know, amateur stuff in school. I thought that's really cool. And then she joined a community theater group, uh, Hamilton Urban Theater in Hamilton. And uh, and I'm not big on competitions. This whole audition thing as a professional actor just freaks me out because I, I I don't like that. I think it was my music teacher in high school who said, art is not a competitive sport. <laughs> so yeah, well, yeah, it is. Um. Anyway, so my daughter says, You should come and be in the play with me. I went, well, community theater always needs adult males, so I'm not going to audition. You tell me later if there's a small part and I might step in. So the guy, they were doing Lear, I think. Oswald is is, is, um, Goneril's servant anyway, Oswald, whoever was playing Oswald stepped out at the last minute and they, and my daughter's like, we have a really small guy, part for a guy and we need somebody. And can you do it? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Cause you know, I don't have to audition. They're just offering it to me. Cause like they're, they're stuck. <laughs> so I did that. And that was fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, and then they said, we're doing another production now and, and, and you should be in that one. Sure. What's that? Um, well, that's the Merchant of Venice. Oh, yeah. What do they want me to do? They want you to be Shylock. Oh, my God. So the second thing, second time I was on stage as an actor, I was, you know, Shylock. Doing my best Jewish accent, trying not to, but I couldn't help it because the guy who was playing opposite was actually Jewish. And I would keep, I kept accidentally mimicking him. You know what that's like. You know, someone, you're a room full of English people and all of a sudden you realize you're speaking an English accent without trying. Anyway. So we, yeah. so I did that. Um, and, and then I got busy and I moved away from Hamilton and I was in my day job and I left a company abruptly, which is, which is a polite way of saying fired. <laughs> and, uh, my wife said, Why don't you go do that acting thing while you look for a real job? Um, cause you thought acting was fun. And I went, Yeah, I could do that. So I had a friend who was in the business on the, um, union props. site he was, he's in Yahtzee, um, uh, doing, doing costuming and wardrobe and props. And I said, how do I get into the movie business? And he said, well, start with background. So I called the background, um, company in Toronto. Um, three days later, I'm on set of covert affairs with Piper Parabo and, and she's off being a star and I'm Bus traveler number 87 with a suitcase walking in the background. And I went, this is so much fun. And my, and so, you know, I, I, I started taking acting classes. I got an agent and my wife's like, that's not what I meant. I meant just go have some fun and then get a real job. Um, but I spent the next year trying to build an acting career. Um, and then the money ran out and I went, well, that was fun, but we're done now. (laughs) And I got a day job. But the acting was still, well, you know, if I could get a part on the weekend or maybe take a day off and go. So it's just kind of been building since then. I I now have a full-time project manager day job, just like you're a doctor. And, uh, and I take vacation time to, I mean, I love this whole COVID self tape thing because it means I don't have to drive to Toronto for an audition, um, you know, so if I book a gig, I take a vacation day and, and off I go. Um, and, uh, and I'm really, really enjoying it. Uh, I, I'm old. I am set in my lifestyle. I have a nice place here. I would love to say, that's it. I'm done. I'm quitting the rat race and I'm going to be a full-time actor. But I know that's not going to pay the lifestyle I have now. So I'm cheating, you know, I'm, I'm acting when I can, you know, if, and I don't expect this to happen. If I make it big and I get enough money, then sure. I'll quit the job and be a full-time actor. Um, but it, you know, it was, it started as theater and I'm, and I'm still in the the local theater in Dunville. I'm the chairman of the board for the Dunville community theater. um, and during COVID, the the community theater couldn't do anything. So they looked at me going, well, you're the TV star. Yeah, no. Um, uh, so we want to do uh, a video blog because we're a live theater trip and we're not allowed on stage. So the next thing I know, I'm producing 12 short films for the community theater and doing all the editing and shooting. and." <sighs> It's a, it's a lovely business. I just wish I could make a living at it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, it's, it's so funny because I was just reading a quote and I'm blanking on who said it. Oh, that's terrible. I just watched that. Is It's in Mississippi burning. Ah, oh, yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, we'll figure it out later, but it was something along the lines of acting is one of the hardest things to do. Professional acting mm-hmm. because nobody allows you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> nobody lets you actually act. Right. I think and so that's where I find like when I read that quote, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so true. Whenever you do get a chance to act, it's like a drug, like you want more of it, you want more of it. But there's so many people who are gatekeepers in your way, preventing you from actually doing what you love to do, which is the acting. Yeah. So that's why I love community theater and I love doing background. Because you get that little hit of it where you're like, this is what I love to do. But so much of the like business uncontrolled weird part that of the industry that is not letting us do the acting that we love. There's just, there's too much of that. So you have to, I think it's so important to have the community theater in the background just to do some acting.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, creating your own content. I, you know, I, I read a book by, I think a book by Dean Silvers, who's a producer in Hollywood. Um, and one of the main pieces of advice he says is like, and you know, this, if you want to be a doctor, you can't just walk into the OR and start operating. You know, if you want to be a lawyer, you can't just walk into court and say, I'm here. If you want to be a filmmaker, make a film. No one's stopping you. It'll suck and you'll learn and you'll make a better one next time. So and and he said, and in, this book was specifically for filmmakers, and he said, to you actors out there, you should know the business. If you want to be an actor and no one gives you an acting job, make your own film and learn how the business works. And, you know, you get a part on this, you know, at the same time. And so that's one of the things I did um, relatively early on was um, I, I have a friend in the States who's, who's a writer. Um, and I said, hey... I read this short story of yours. Can I make a film out of it? I'm not going to pay you or anything. And she goes, go right ahead. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I made a short film and, uh, you know, that, that, that was my entry into the, what do you need to do about cameras and sound and lighting and, and, and editing. I, I, I've heard, I, I kind of envious of people have gone to film school but then I've heard about half and half, half of the people say, yeah, it was a great experience. And half the people went, I should have taken my tuition money and rented camera equipment and made a film, you know? So, uh, it's, it, the jury's out on, on whether that's a good idea or not. Also jealous of people who went to acting school, um, or got, you know, bachelor of fine arts or whatever. But I, I, when I was of an age to pick a university to go to, I, Acting was not on the radar. And I was, quite honestly, I don't think I would have been comfortable doing it then. I am so much more comfortable as an old guy in my own self and my own skin and my own body. I, you know, I, I'm very comfortable with myself and putting myself out there and putting myself on on stage is something I'm quite happy to do now. And when I was 20, I would have been way too self-conscious.
0: <laughs> do you find there's any... Kind of transferable skills or anything that you've noticed you've been able to bring into your acting career from your um, real
1: job? Lots. Uh, depending on on how it, it, it would depend on how deeply you wanted to get into the the film business. Um, I I would like to do more of it because I I'm I'm a project manager, which basically is someone who organizes other people and their time and their jobs and make sure that it all comes together. Basically I'm a line producer, you know, um, and, and, or, or, or a, a unit production manager. I mean, that's the kind of job that I do, but I can't just walk onto a film set and go, Hey, hire me as a production manager because I have no experience on film and I can't just quit my job and go be, I can't work my way up because I wouldn't get paid enough to support my lifestyle. And I'm very vain and I love my lifestyle. Um, (laughs) But on, but that same set of skills is what I've used to run my acting career. Um, Because one of the things that some people make the mistake of is thinking that this is, you know, a glamorous career where, you know, you sit, and, and people do stuff for you and you just walk in front of the camera and go, hi, I'm here. Give me my line. And I mean, it's a business, it's show business, it's film business, it's acting business. So I, you know, I have spreadsheets that track my auditions. I have editing software to like every, every self tape I do is literally a short film. You know, I mean, you know, the, the days of walking in to an audition you know where you were in there for 3 minutes was was kind of nice in one way um because i will spend an hour and a half or 2 hours doing a, a you know 45 second audition self tape um mm-hmm. because i treat it like a film i treat my i treat my acting career as a business you you i log my my emails so that i have records if i need them you know, you meet every deadline. You ensure that all of your email addresses forward to the right place, so that you always get contact. You know, I mean, I'm not on call. I call, I turn my phone off when I go to bed, but you know, during the day when I'm awake, I'm I'm available twenty four seven. Okay, not twenty four sixteen seven. I like to get out of sleep. <laughs> um, you know, for my agent or for anyone else that needs me, I'm extremely flexible. It's you run things as a business. uh, And, and, and part of that business is making sure you keep up on your creative side. So you take acting classes or things like that. And I don't do enough of that because I have, I mean, I, I have the day job. I also help my wife with her vet practice, you know, doing bookkeeping. Um, I have a property to just, you know, kind of manage. I have seven horses in the backyard, you know, like, my life is very full. So I don't do as much acting training as I should, but I do try to do some uh, because it forwards the business. It forwards your skill set, you know, and, and all of this comes down to, you know, my project management skills, which are really basically just organizational skills. You know, I mean, the project management side teaches you, you know, about templates and and you know, the, the scope cost quality triangle. And like it, it teaches you the formality of running a project, but when it comes down to it, basically it's figuring out what needs to be done and organizing that stuff to actually get done.
0: (laughs) And It's interesting because, um, the worry for me and you kind of touched on it there about, you know, you're taking part of your job is to keep creative, because that's yeah. part of the business of acting. My worry, and I know I'm guilty of this as well, too, because of full-time job and stuff like that, is seeing it so much as a business that I forget the creative part of it. And I th- and I wonder if that's why so many people don't see it as a business, because they think it's just like you're saying, just pure creativity. And with my pure creativity, I can just walk on set and line please. Right. So they don't see it as that business part of it. What are your thoughts?
1: Before the, before COVID there was a a monthly drink night that was organized by some people on Facebook an independent film group. Um, And I would go to the bar and drink with these people, you know, once a month, not because I necessarily knew them particularly well, or that I wasn't necessarily going to work with them. Um, but I went there specifically to remind me that I am an actor and filmmaker because it was so easy to forget that with the day job and the, the, the you know, domestic responsibilities and, you know, the other day jobs. Um, so I, I specifically went to this just to remind myself, oh yeah, I'm hanging out with filmmakers and actors and stuff. I'm one of them. And, and that was really important to me. And that's something that I've had to make up for due to COVID. It's one of the few things that I missed during COVID is, is, you know, I like being at home. I, I like working from home. I like being at home. I don't like, I don't like all that people, all that much. I mean, some of them are okay. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and the people I meet on set are, you know, 90% of them are just a joy to be around and, and, and chat with and work with, uh, but one of the things I have trouble doing is keeping myself on the creative side, you know, even thinking of myself, like the first time I ever took a film to a film festival, it was the, the Milton film festival quite some years ago. And it was my very first short film. Um, and I got up on stage to introduce the film. Cause that's one of the things you get to do when you're, you know, in a little, a small film festival and you're got a small film. And I said, I'm an artist. I've never said that out loud. That's really weird because I'm the math guy from high school. I'm an artist. And, and, and that, it struck me at the time and it still hits me even now with, you know, with my day jobs and everything else that's going on. Every once in a while I have to stop and go, no, wait, I am a creative person. I am an artist. I can do this thing that is, you know, not like the other stuff I do. And it is hard to, to, to keep it going. But you have to uh, because you, you, the business stuff is really important if you want to be taken seriously as an actor, you have to have that business stuff, but if you can't act, it doesn't really matter how good your business is. you know you have to impress the casting director or the director or the producer with your abilities and the fact that you can actually go out and do what they need you to do, so you know, yeah, stressing the business stuff. You know, you, you can't have one without the other. You have to have the business side to make your career, but you have to have the acting skills or there isn't a career to make. This is an argument we have, my wife and I have all the time. When I I congratulate her on how well her veterinary business is doing. And she goes, well, I can't do it without you. You're doing all this logistics in the background. I said, yeah, but the logistics doesn't matter if there isn't a vet. You know, like if there's no one to treat the animals, it doesn't matter how well I balance the books. You know, <laughs> so- Same thing in the the creative side. Yeah.
0: yeah, It's funny because I think I have, I am the math brained person as well. I did a physics and kinetics, which is basically gym uh, degree, but I like things I can control. Right. And the business side of acting is controllable. Exactly. You're so right. I think about it with like script analysis. I can analyze a script so good. It means nothing. It's not like I can show up to an audition and be like, look at me and my report that I did on your (laughs) script. If I can't act what I just analyze, it doesn't matter. It's so true.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you're Mm -hmm. a doctor. I mean, hospital administrators do good work, but they can't really do much in a hospital if there isn't a doctor or a nurse standing by to actually do the stuff. (laughs)
0: Great. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any advice for anyone who is who has a job that they want to keep? Right. Like, and but wants to try and balance that. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Big question.
1: It's well. Um, wow. Where do you start there? It's not easy. You have to, you have to make, how do I say this? You have to make your second career a hobby. Most people talk about making a hobby into a career. No, you have to make that Mm -hmm. second career into a hobby. Careers are things you do in my experience for money, you know, like, you need a job, you got to pay rent or mortgage or whatever. So you need to have a job. If, if acting is, if, if your second career is just a that it's a job. So yeah, I have my day job and then I go to my night job, you know, like you need acting to be the hobby, the fun thing that you do to get away from work. And then if you ever get paid for it, that's a bonus, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my, my advice, if you have the financial resources is quit your day job, be a full-time actor, devote yourself to it. But most people don't have that. I certainly don't have that. Um, certainly not if I want to maintain the lifestyle I have now. Um, and I, I keep talking about my lifestyle. It's not like I'm rich, but you know, I have horses in the backyard and I own a property. You know, I can't pay for hay and grain and mortgage without a paycheck. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, my, my advice is if you really love it, then do it, make it your hobby, make it the thing that, that consumes you for fun. And then if it ever pays enough, then you can quit your day job and, and then, then acting can be the daily grind and you can find another hobby. (laughs) Um,
0: That's such a good point.
1: Yeah but but, but the, the fun thing about acting in in my opinion because it's it's not just acting i fell in love with the entire business um you know i like camera work i like trying to capture good sound i i love editing I, editing is awesome you know one of my one of my, i mean I, I when i do a self tape yeah i do two or three takes to get the stuff that i like but what i like doing is editing it together into into Something cohesive, um, you know. I want I want to tell a story. I do. I mean, there's lots of times when I do. What's it in, in the industry? An L cut. So you know, I. As the audition fades out, a title card with me and my website and and a full body shot comes on, but the audio from the audition continues because I'm trying to. I, to me, it's a film. It's not an audition. It's a short film that I'm making for these people, um, so. I try and be artistic in that. Now, I'm sure somebody out there is going to go, you're an idiot. You're an actor. Just act. That's what they want to see. They don't want to see that you're a master editor. No, but I want them to enjoy watching the audition. I want them to watch that and say, that was good. And that was fun. You know, that, that was a good audition. And whether they know it or not, they're looking at the acting, but they're also looking at the film. I know they say, you know, casting directors tell you, you know, we we want you know, as the covid Progresses. We want you know your self quality, you know, your your self tape quality to improve. But you know we're not looking at your lighting or your sound. We're looking for the acting performance. Yes, they are, but they're humans, and they're going to they're going to be impressed by a quality product. Um, and anybody in filmmaker in, in filmmaking knows that sound is key. You know, people will forgive grainy film or slightly out of focus film because their brain will adjust for it but if the th- if sound quality is bad no one likes a movie right mm-hmm. which is why i pay so much attention to the sound in my self tapes you know from you know i i whether if there's a slate and an audition and then a a, a tail card title card you know like the whole thing has to flow together as a film i'm getting really pedantic here <laughs>
0: No, but I think that's really important because you are enjoying it. Yeah. And that's all that matters. Yes. Because I think the further on I get in this acting biz, which is not far, but whatever, it's the, I'm starting to care less about what people have told me I should be doing and more about what I enjoy doing. Exactly. For like, I had an audition yesterday and I kind of went a bit crazy in my slate. And I remember the person I read with was like, wow, that was okay. That was not something <laughs> like, I had a blast. She's like, I don't know if the casting director's going to like it. I was like, don't care. Like, yeah. you're right. They're humans who are, you know, I, I don't know. I just think if, if you're having fun with it and you're sending it off and it's a joy for you, that feeds into the acting that they keep saying that that's the most important thing. Yeah.
1: And, and this is, this is a recent breakthrough for me um, because they tell you, if, if you take acting classes from certain people that you, you, the audition is where you hone your craft, like, well, apart from classes, but it's, I mean, you're supposed to look forward. This is your job is your job is to audition. If you're successful and you get an acting job, that's fine, but your job is auditioning. That's what you do. And just literally last month, there was a a some sort of tweak in my brain up until then i actually dreaded getting emails from my agent you have an audition oh crap i have to drop what i'm doing i have to make another self tape i have to get it good and then i'm going to send it off and then nothing will ever happen and and it was tense and i i literally i mean i want to be an actor but every time i got an email from my agent it's oh shit <laughs> you know yeah. just last month I don't know what happened, but I now have started looking forward to it. Oh, good! I just got something from agent. What is it? Oh, it's an audition. Oh, great! Let's see what's the part. And and you know, I have just—I mean, I've been doing this off and on for you know six six years, seven years. I don't know. I've lost track of time, but I've just this just last month started to really enjoy doing auditions. It's fun, you know. And and part of it is is to your point. I'm, I do, I I split my, my brain. I mean, half of me is like, okay, what do they need? What do they want? What do they want to see? And half of it, it's like, what do I want to do? What do I want to see? And I try and merge those two into an audition that is fun for me that I think is just hilarious or, or not hilarious, depending on the context of the, of the, I mean, I was, I mean, I I was auditioned for a recent role where I was, you know, accidentally finding a dead body on the ground. It's like, Oh, But I still, I thought I found a way to make that slightly amusing, Um, you know, but I just, it's enjoyable now. I, I want, I, I look at the, I look at the audition. I say, what can I do with this that makes them happy, hopefully, and me happy? Definitely. Mm -hmm. So.
0: I talk about this a lot and I know I say, I talk about this a lot, but I think having the security from finances for me, is very important. Um, It has been, it's been ingrained in me since I was a kid. It's never going to change. That's me. But having that allows me to bring the joy and excitement that I get now with the new mindset of, I was exactly the same as you. Oh God, I have to do another audition. Great. When am I going to do it? I'm on call this weekend, blah, blah. But now the excitement is there when I get the audition, because I know I'm not relying on it to survive. Yeah. Like I don't have to rely on it to, like you were saying, to pay rent. This is fun. Yeah. If I get the job bonus and that desperation has gone away.
1: And, and I feel guilty doing that because, you know, I, I'm, I'm comfortably, you know, I'm comfortable in my life. And am am I stealing a job from a starving actor out there? Hmm.
0: I hate that term starving.
1: Yeah.
0: But like you worked your you've worked your butt off. Yes. to get to where you are. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no I I, I don't it doesn't stop me. I just said I feel a little yeah. guilty. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't stop me from human, doing it.
0: Human nature. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: <laughs> and, and 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 trust me if if I could if I could just afford to quit my job and act full time or if I was younger and had fewer responsibilities. I mean, you know people when, when, when people ask my advice, you know, like, oh, how do you get into acting? I say, start young. And they go, well, no. you know, I'm, I'm like 50. Well, you can't start younger than that now because that's where you are. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, you know, if, if you, I mean, if I could, I would, I would, I would go and, and be a, you know, minimum wage production assistant or, I mean, yeah, some of them get paid for, don't get paid at all. I did one of those, you know, free PA thing, you know, way back years ago, just to get on set. It was my very first IMDb credit was production assistant (laughs) (laughs) for free. Um,
0: Yeah. For the experience. The
1: experience. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we, we, we are lucky that we have the financial ability to pursue it as a hobby. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, a semi-professional hobby, whatever, however, whatever term you want to use there. And I, and I feel quite lucky that I get to do that. Um, at some point, I will actually retire. And if they still want, you know, old white guys in movies at that point, you know, I will be available full time. <laughs> uh, you know, I might, I might, I don't think I'm going to cut my hair, but. Mm-hmm.
0: I was just about to ask. Were you? Like, do you go? Yeah. Well, just about, you know, because I've talked to um, another gentleman who has a big beard.
1: Yeah, I saw that one. Beard,
0: that Ken, yeah. And so we talked so much about typecasting. Yeah. And, you know, do you go for the kind of more niche roles because of how you can look with your hair? Um, you know, yeah. because you have a very character look to you.
1: When I when I tell my wife, hey, I have an audition, she goes, homeless or drug dealer? <laughs>
0: uh, what no I'm a lead role in a Hallmark movie.
1: Yeah, no. No, I don't I don't think so. I mean I I mean I, I have an NDA for a small part I'm doing right now, so I can't talk about it, but it's a very small okay. part. But it says right in the script, looks like a serial killer. Yep. <laughs> That'd <be me. laughs> uh, So, uh, so here's the thing, and this is going to sound arrogant. This is one of the, I'm, I'm Actra. One of the reasons I went union is one of the many reasons I haven't cut my hair. One of the reasons is I haven't cut my hair for decades, um, um, but I can't, and this is going to sound arrogant. I can't afford to be a little bit successful. Right. Mm-hmm. I have a job and I have certain number of vacation days, many of which I blew off to go to Ukraine because, you know, I needed to do that. I can't afford to, to act like three or four or five days a month. Cause I, I can't take mm-hmm. that much time off work. Right. So I can't be a bit of a success. I either have to do it in my spare time or, you know, take a vacation day here or there. Or whatever, or I have to make enough money at this that I can quit my job. There there's no in between. And I know there's a lot of non union work out there. And when I went union, my agent at the time dumped me. She goes, You're not you're not good enough for union. You don't have the resume. Like you you weren't gonna make it. And yeah, I this is not someone I would ever recommend. Um but but oh, I hate I, this agent. But to a certain point she's right. I would have gotten a lot more work as a non union actor. I could have booked a lot more roles. But here's the thing, I have the day job. I can't be a little successful. By going union, I cut down my options considerably. I got a lot fewer roles, but when I did get them, they paid really well. Yes. So, yeah. So you know, do I wanna work, you know, just making up numbers? Do I wanna work twelve hours at you know you know 10 bucks an hour or do I want to work two hours at you know 60 bucks an hour did I do the math right anyway you know like sorry Uh, yeah I need I need and and you know ACTRA is the professional union that's what we're supposed to aspire to um and so yeah I got in the minute I could get in in fact I slid my way in by getting an ACTRA credit by doing my own short film that i did through Actra. Don't tell them they don't like that.
0: But it's, that's what you're you're creating your own content. I did. It's great.
1: But I could have done it non-union.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess. But I'm with you. I'm with you, yeah. right? And I mean, I know the agent you have now. We have the same agent. Yes, we do. Um,
1: and <laughs> awesome.
0: Amazing. But I agree with you. All right. I think, again, it's a bit of, I don't, again, you, uh, the word arrogant or like I I've used the word luxury a little bit, yeah. which I know is probably not the right kind of mindset to be in, but I was thinking to myself, I'm in the union as well. One damn elusive credit to get full actra. But when I joined, credit? I didn't have, yeah. Want to give me one? Yeah. I need one more.
1: I yeah. will <laughs> look at the short films I'm doing and see if we could find you. With-
0: Sweet. I have
1: yeah. done that for people.
0: I think that's I, and and as we sh- as we should right like I think when I joined the union I remember uh, it was a casting director actually I won't name them who yeah. said very similar I like basically out of the goodness of their heart saying I was so mad that you joined the union because you're very commercial I mean I'm, I'm a, I go for mom forty all yeah. the time and was booking non union commercials left right and center and he was like she, they were like oh I'm so mad you joined the union but I was like this is what I like you're saying I aspire to be. These are the yep. actors I want to compete against yep. because they'll make me a, a better actor. Absolutely. And like you were saying, I have the luxury of not being dependent on this as my full-time job yep. because like you were saying, the opportunities go down when you're joining the union, but they're so much better. They're the meatier, delicious roles that we want to be doing.
1: Last month, I got a trailer for the first time.
0: Ooh. Did you take a picture?
1: I, I I took a picture from inside the trailer because yeah, I didn't yeah. want to be seen with the camera outside because of the NDA. <laughs> right. Um, but we we got <laughs> off topic. You were talking about uh, about typecasting. Um,
0: yes. Mm-hmm. So
1: one of the things I found sometimes you ask people, "Is there something unexpected about the industry for you?" Yeah.
0: Yeah. So
1: what I found out is that the industry is a lot more. Do we swear little bits here? They're a lot more tight ass than I thought oh, they were. Yes. <laughs> so I get told, Oh, it's, it's film. It's the world of fantasy. You can be anything you want. No, I could be with all the respect to you. I could be a doctor. I could be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I can't get cast as a doctor or a lawyer. Cause I don't look like one. So if you're on the A list, do I? Yeah. <laughs> so if you're, if you're on an A list, you know, like, they'll give you a wig or a bald cap or they will do whatever they need to do. But when you're on the, what are we, the D list or E list? I don't know. (laughs) Whatever list we're on, you have to look the part when you get there or because they're not spending the money, you know, Um, they're not spending the money to make you look like, you know, what they want. You have to be what they want. So, yeah, I, I this is the look that I've had for long before I was an actor. Um, I've done medieval recreation. I've done jousting. You know, on, on horseback. So, you know, I look the part for all my other hobbies. Um, and this is what I look like at work. You know, I cut my hair to get a job in it because you have to cut your hair to get the job. But then once I got the job, I don't cut it. Cause you, you're allowed to have long hair in it. You're just not allowed to have long hair when you interview unless you're really, really good. <laughs> um, and I've considered cutting it because, you know, I've had it for a long time, but this is kind of who I've been for many decades. And part of me said, well, if I cut it, I might get more rules." but so what? I mean, I'm, I'm going to get, it's not going to be, it's not going to look like me. Um, you know, I, the, the, the guy that you, uh, you were talking about earlier had this huge beard. I saw pictures of him. Like he seems to grow hair and facial hair, at an amazing rate. If I could do that, I would yeah. do that. I would shave my head or shave my beard or whatever. And then, you know, next month I'm back. This, this has taken me decades to grow. You know, I get it trimmed once a year, you know, to, to get the dead ends off and that's it. I'm, if I cut this short, it's probably never coming back. So, you know, I, I keep it this way. The beard, the beard I will happily shave if someone pays me enough. My, yeah. one of my favorite auditions were where I was, honest with the guy is he said, will you shave the beard? And I looked at him and I said, not for your pay scale. And he goes, good answer. Oh, yes. <laughs> this,
0: Advocate for yourself. Well, this
1: was, this was before I was union. This is a small independent thing where they're paying you a hundred bucks for a day, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, no, not cutting my beard for a hundred bucks. No, I did no. cut it yeah. for, and this is, I, I was, I was actually booked at the, the story of us was a CBC, um, historical thing.
0: Yeah. Why can't, Why am I thinking of? Yeah, it's cluing in my brain somewhere. So I
1: was, hmm. I was Montcalm on horseback, and they said, "We need you to shave." Well, I'd already agreed to do this tiny little independent thing that wasn't paying me very much, but they were good guys, and I'd agreed to. So I called them and said, "Can I shave?" Well, when are you going to stop shave Well, I got to shave today for a role this weekend, and when are we shooting in three weeks ago? We'd rather you not, but. We understand that if you got a real gig that pays real money, you gotta do what you gotta do. So they but I you know, I checked with these guys and said, Will you let me shave? You know, and then I turned to C B C and said, Yeah, they said I could shave, you know. <laughs> so I did. And then I you know, and so I, I had like, you know, two, three weeks stubble when I did the second um the second thing. So yeah, I will change I, my look for the right Yeah, morning. and
0: I think for the right yeah, exactly. And I think yeah I as I gain great wiseness and maturity in this life, the less I'm willing to, to change who I am and what I look like yeah. because I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, yeah, this is what I look like. Um, I if you don't like it, fine. Yep.
1: Whatever. <laughs> yeah,
0: whatever. Do you have any um, memorable onset stories? Uh,
1: so my favorite onset story takes takes a little bit but we'll get there this was non-union doing background I get called in to do something in Toronto <clears throat> I show up there's like you know eight or ten background people stuffed in the in the holding area the back of this cafe and I think it's a student no one tells anybody no one tells background anything I think it's a student film but for some reason either whether he whether they you know convinced him or he was mentoring or whatever it was being directed by Paul Gross. Right. You know, Canadian actor and yeah. all around, you know, film guy up here. Do so. Yeah. And yeah. so. Um, he he comes in, he's he, his hair doesn't look anything like what it usually does. And he's a much he's six foot three. He's bigger than I realized. And he, and but he's wearing a Passchendaele jacket. And I went, hey, that must be one of the guys from the cast of, from the crew of Passchendaele. Whatever. But anyway, so so throughout the day, this A.D. comes in. And he goes, I need two background, not you, not you. Okay. And then somebody will come in and I need three more background, not you. Okay, whatever. And then, and as the day progresses, they, they're taking more people away. And then they are starting to wrap the background. Okay. We don't need you anymore. You're done. And finally, at the end of the day, I'm by myself <laughs> in holding and they come in and go, you're We're ready for you and you're so they take me into this tiny little diner that's not much bigger than my office. They set me down with a backpack and a book and start reading. And then they put the two leads in, in front at a different table. And then there's all the camera and crew. And it's this tiny little room. And you can hear everything that everybody's saying. So I'm sitting there pretending to read my book. And I can hear the director of photography look at Paul Gross and go, think it would be much better if there was just this vast emptiness behind the leads to symbolize some whatever you know and i can hear this i'm standing sitting 10 feet away so i start packing up my stuff and paul gross comes over and he looks down at me way down and he goes you're too handsome you wrecking the shot get out okay so now as you know Background are scum. They're not allowed to talk to anybody or intru- you know interrupt anyone. But, you know, I'm not young. I'm not new. I don't care. And also, I have to literally squeeze past Paul Gross's chest to get out of the diner that we're in because it's so packed. So I'm trying to squeeze by, and I look up because he's up there, and I said, I know I'm not supposed to talk to you, sir, because you're important. But my wife just saw Gunless, and she thinks it's the funniest movie ever. And he looks down and he goes, your wife is fantastic. And then I left. So that was my interaction with Paul Gross. The funny thing is I was doing a short film later and I sent him a, and this is just funny to me, no one else. And and I I talked to people about how do you get names on your film? Well, there's lots of different prior, different strategies, but you got to ask or you don't get anything. Yeah. So I sent a note to Paul Gross's agent saying, Hey, I was an extra on a Paul Gross short, and and he said that I was too handsome and was wrecking the shot, and it crushed my ego and damaged this poor young actor. But he could make it up to me by accepting this role on my short film. <laughs> and I, I'd have been happier if it took a couple of days for a response, because then maybe I would have thought Mr. Gross saw it. But I got a response about eight hours later going, um, Mr. Gross is currently very busy with post-production and and. Wishes you the best of luck on your short film, but cannot participate. And that fall, Hyena Road was at TIFF, so he really was busy in post production. But so that's my my Paul Gross story. And
0: I love that; that's awesome. But
1: as as for asking for names, I did. I was doing another short, and I I was being directed by a friend of mine, and we had the voice for a GPS. This guy's dead mother was um was possessing his gps and i said to her what do you want you want a young voice or do we want an old voice like and she goes no we want a young voice that kind of sounds like a gps unless we could get betty white then that'd be awesome but otherwise no a young voice so i am imdb pro dear betty white's agent we would like to offer miss white this <laughs> white a short you know audio piece and, this. and i never heard back from them but the actress we cast gets to say, yeah, the role I took is the one that Betty White didn't want.
0: She turned it down. Yeah. <laughs> so I love there are that. tiny
1: things that make this industry fun. Mm-hmm. And that's one of them.
0: Yeah. Do you have anything that you are looking forward to coming up this year?
1: You know, I can just say everything. Um. 2020 I think I did six auditions cuz you know covid booked nothing mm. 2021 I uh, I did I think 15 or 16 auditions and booked nothing 2022 you know my agent I have mm-hmm. done nine auditions I have four gigs I am looking forward to this entire year. My my agent seems to be on a roll. I seem to be on a, a bit of a roll. Um, I, I'm really looking forward. You know, I, I said earlier that I just made that tweak in my head to the point where I was enjoying auditions. I'm looking forward to this whole year. I'm looking forward to more auditions. I'm looking forward to maybe more parts, you know, maybe more trailers. <laughs> Excuse me, Mister Heron. We'll be with you in a minute. Um, I'm ready for my close-up. Now they just, yeah. it, it's just as long as you don't take your, yourself too seriously. This is a hell of a fun industry. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any final words of wisdom? <laughs>
1: <No pressure. laughs> run! Run! Screaming! Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, I, I, if somebody's actually listening to this podcast, it means they're interested in acting. I guess mm-hmm. um, you should find. God, I, I hate the whole follow your bliss kind of crap. Um, but you need to enjoy your life, and ideally, you have a job that you like. Um, and you know, if not, at least tolerate. But Apart from the job, you need to enjoy your life. You know, whether, whether you enjoy your life sitting on your butt watching Netflix or, or golfing. God, I don't understand golfing. Um, but whatever it is that you do, find something that you enjoy and enjoy and do that. And if acting is what you like, then do that act for yourself. Go join a community theater because there's all kinds of them out there and that'll teach you all kinds about acting, not about TV acting you got to understand the differences between film and TV and, and theater, but theater is a great place to start or finish, you know, um, do theater, do your own content. I mean, there's, there, I mean, I think it's a little gimmicky, but wasn't there a feature film made on an iPhone, you know? Yeah. You know, like I, I think that's gimmicky. I don't know that I would do that. Um, but my cameras are not expensive. In fact, I don't even own them. um, <laughs> they they belong to someone else. Uh, but there's, there's technology is cheap and, and, and creativity, if it's your own is free. Um, you know, do something, you know, like the live, you know, the, like the, the community theater group that couldn't go on stage. So we did a web series, you know, and, and we didn't get distribution. It's on YouTube, you know, <laughs> um, we're not getting money for it. We're just, we're having fun and honing our skills. So yeah, my my piece of advice is you you should try and enjoy what you're doing, um, whatever that happens to be. And do some good in the world. Help Ukraine.
0: Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Jordan, for being my guest this week. Thank you for the incredible work that you're doing supporting the country of Ukraine and bringing their stories to Canada. Also... I always talk about this. When I meet people that have been on my show in real life, it probably is the biggest joy bringing thing to my life. Jordan and I got to meet a couple weeks ago and it was just the best. He was wearing a suit that had Tetris cubes all over it and he was just as joy filled in person as he was virtually through this platform that we call Riverside FM that I do my podcast on as expected. Jordan, you are an absolute joy. And I am just so thrilled that everyone got to hear your story. Thank you again for sharing it. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And I hope you'll join me next week on another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadoer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancy's, judgy McJudgerson's, or Debbie Downer's, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye!